Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. In our last episode, we talked about summer and we touched briefly on how summer is a time of a lot of celebrations and parties. And I know in my family, we have several birthdays right in a row in this week coming up, including mine. So Mm -hmm. I'll be turning 30 two days from the time of this recording. And I have a little story to share about birthdays because in this episode, we will be talking about birthdays. Okay. So the summer before entering middle school, I had a small birthday party with some friends. It was at Michael's craft store (laughs) in the back of the store. They had a room where they would have parties where you would make some sort of craft, like painted frames or something like that. And at the end of the party, we ate cake and I opened the presents from my friends. And it turned out that every single friend or almost every friend, but I'm pretty sure it was everyone (laughs) gave me a gift card to Barnes and Noble bookstore. (laughs) And I remember I, you know, I kept this smile plastered Mm -hmm. on my face, but Mm -hmm. inside I had this like sinking feeling in my stomach and this hot feeling in my chest because the truth was that yes, I loved books. I was a total bookworm and voracious reader, but I liked other things too. And I was turning, I think it was my 11th birthday and I kind of wanted like makeup or trendy clothes or a cool new gadget or something more tweeny, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I also was so identified as this like quiet, mature, reflective little bookworm girl. Mm. And so I... I didn't even, I couldn't blame anyone really because they didn't know that I wanted other things because I never said that I did because inside I didn't even really feel like I could want other things, more shallow things. Mm. And so I thought about this story and this moment because, you know, it was a, it was a great party and I never would have wanted to seem ungrateful But I think there's something about birthdays that can just bring up these questions for us. And these small things can become so symbolic to us when the question really is like, am I seen? Mm -hmm. Am I known? Mm -hmm. Am I accepted and celebrated for who I truly am? Mm. Are you really happy that I'm here? Mm. And am I loved? Mm. So, so yeah, Cheryl, I would just love to hear any... (laughs) (laughs) anything that comes up for you from that story? Um, That's such a great story. And I think it elucidates some of the themes and the emotions that arise around birthdays. And I love those questions that you listed at the end. Can you say those again? Yeah. So the questions I asked were, am I seen? Am I known? Am I accepted and celebrated for who I truly am? Are you happy that I'm here? And Mm. am I loved? Mm. Yes. Because like so many things in our culture, we focus on the party and the party favors and the, the cake and the balloons I'm thinking like for little kids, but even for adults, it's it's very much focused on the party aspect, just like when we have a wedding, we're very much focused on um, the party, the reception, much more than we are on the ceremony, on what's actually happening on this day. And so here we have this archetypal day. Everybody has a birthday. And those questions speak to the emotional layer of this is the day of my birth. This is the honoring, the celebration, the acknowledgement that this particular day was the day I was born, however many years ago. And yes, we're going to celebrate it. And yes, we want to know, am I accepted and celebrated? Of course. 
But the way that we ritualize or the lack of ritual in the culture um, overlooks those deeper questions. Am I seen? Am I known? And so I think the gift giving, and we could do a whole episode on gift giving, I'm sure, and gift receiving exemplifies, highlights some of those questions. And it sounds like that's what was stirred up for you on that very momentous birthday going into middle school, those transitional awful years. (laughs) Um, And such pain in those years for so many people. And so you were on that threshold, 11 years old, going into middle school, and you wanted to be seen in the totality of who you were, not just, yes, I'm a bookworm. Yes, I love books. Thank you so much. And you, of course, being the good girl, had the smile on your face and graciously received as we are taught to do when receiving gifts, as I think is is a lovely thing to do when receiving a gift. Thank you, even if you hate it. Um, but then there were there was this whole underworld of emotion that was speaking to those questions. But I'm not just this mature, poetic, bookworm girl. I'm also all of these other things. And maybe I want to wear makeup and maybe I want to wear the latest, you know, brand brand name jeans. And maybe I want whatever, whatever the other trinkets and things are that, that would have represented other aspects of you. And so I think my mind went to the wedding because it's it's these momentous days, these transitional days where we only focus on the party and we lose sight of what the emotional layers are. And as highly sensitive people, we're always going to feel into those emotional layers, whether it's the grief of turning a new age, which I'm sure we'll get to in this episode, um, letting go of the age that you just were, the grief of getting one year older, um, which I think is so important to talk about because I hear that so often with in the people that I work with in terms of if I'm getting older, it means that my loved ones and my parents are getting older, that with each birthday we are moving up the totem pole of life. Um, so all of these subterranean underlayers that are stirred up that we don't acknowledge that we don't have containment for that we don't that we don't even name for young people or any people of any age around birthdays yes i was thinking about how in each episode of this podcast so far we've really talked about kind of expectations like Mm. this is how I think I should feel or Mm -hmm. how this day this occasion this time should go and yet the reality is not meeting the expectation and oh that must mean there's something wrong with me yes as opposed to just because it's your birthday, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're only going to feel joyful and like you're having fun and you feel loved. And And I was just thinking as you were talking about how, I mean, this is not, this is not a, you know, earth shattering hot take, but because we have so much comparison now with like Instagram, it's just that much easier to focus on oh, what does this like birthday gathering, if you have one, Mm -hmm. what does it look like, you know, as opposed to how do I feel and what's really happening here? Yes. 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 The focus, it's so easy for the focus to be on the external, on the image, on how many people are there and what are we wearing? Where did we go? And how much fun does it look like we're having? And no focus on, but what were you actually feeling the days leading up to that birthday, the night before the birthday, the day of the birthday, the evening after the birthday, the next day. There's so many stages around a birthday. It's not just the day itself um, that I think is important to also name because, 
again, we're so hyper-focused on these momentous days. And we forget that in transitions, and a birthday is obviously a transition from one age to the next, sometimes from one decade to the next, as you are about to experience, and I will experience in November, um, that when we are transitioning, it's not just the day itself. It's the days and weeks and months leading up to that, where we are in that stage of um, reckoning and doing life review and reflecting and um, hopefully making room for grief that will be there. And remembering that the more we do that on the on the front end um, or on the on the pre end, that the more present we will be able to be for the actual day, which is just one day. And we will be able to transition more fluidly, more gracefully, and more joyfully. That that expectation of joy, and I'm so glad that you are highlighting that I that we do bring this up in every episode that the clash between expectations and shoulds and the reality of of the emotional um, richness and juiciness of the highly sensitive person, and I think of all people, um, that when there is that, um, when there is an acknowledgement and some preparation and some um, ritual leading up to the day that the great paradox is that we do then open the doorways and pave the way to step into that more joyful place that we are expecting ourselves to be. But it's really hard to just jump into that when we haven't acknowledged everything that led up to that moment, that day. So like the more the more I make room for and I, I probably say this in some form every episode the more I make room for the grief and honor it and ritualize it and talk about it and cry through it and write through it the more genuine and true joy I feel on the actual day whether it's my birthday or my kids birthdays or whatever transition I'm talking about um, but it's, it's almost impossible to get to the happy. And again, it's like, there's the expectation embedded into our birthday song. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> How many times can we say it? Happy birthday. <laughs> because you will be happy on this day. Whether you actually are or not, the expectation is you will be happy on this day. And I understand it, you know, from a less cynical layer. Yes, we want to be joyful and celebratory for somebody else's birthday. But again, when we sideline all of the other emotions and experiences, you know, it's really hard to get to happy. I was really interested, though, Victoria, what what you sent to me about this episode because, and I mentioned it already in terms of getting older and Mm -hmm. knowing that with each age that you get older, it means your parents and the people around you are also getting older. I'm wondering if you can speak to that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I definitely connect with this, this feeling of loss or fear of loss around my birthday of, well, I'm getting older. So, you know, I'm experiencing some form of loss, but also, as you said earlier, definitely that feeling of if I'm getting older, if I'm 30, Mm -hmm. then, you know, um, everyone around me is getting older. My grandmother, you know, is getting older. My parents are getting older. My -hmm. siblings are getting older. My friends are getting older. And, I definitely connect with that sense of just fear of loss and that sensitivity to it. And I think Mm -hmm. especially with this 30 thing, Mm -hmm. it's like, (laughs) obviously there's a lot around that. But I think if you crack all the way down, there's like the fear of death, the Mm -hmm. the fear of losing people. Yes. 
But there's also just the fear of getting older and loss of health and vitality and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything that that can bring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to pause there for a moment because just to even name the fear of death, which is at the core of so much fear for people, especially highly sensitive people, um, and letting ourselves name that and breathe into that, that, that we call it a birthday, but that embedded in the birthday is an awareness of death because we have a finite number of birthdays and the people that we love have a finite number of birthdays and just what it feels like to even let ourselves for a moment. It's such scary territory to go into the death conversation and the death territory, but to, to just name it, breathe into it for however long we can to know that it's, that it's in there. And so there's that ultimate loss, the final loss, and then what you're also ta- speaking to is the, the aging process, losing this stage of life, getting further away from childhood. What does it mean to be in a body that ages? So I would love to hear from you, Victoria, what 30 has brought up for you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the fear of everything we just named of like losing people that I love and not just in, not just in, in the sense of, of death. Um, but even when I turn in turning 30, you know, more and more of my friends are married or getting married, buying Mm. houses, having children. Mm -hmm. So there's a sadness and a fear of losing friendships as I've known them. Mm. as well because Mm. I know that once people are in a stage of life where especially they have children it just really changes Mm. you know yes and it brings up those questions for me of like that a sense of urgency of oh do I want to get married do Mm -hmm. I want to be a mother one day do I want to buy a house will I ever be able to buy a house what does that mean about me (laughs) am I behind yeah so definitely also just that that fear of being stuck or being behind Mm. as well that's such a big one and I think such a big one for 30 and going back to the conversation around expectations and timelines and where we think we should be by certain ages Um, and so by 30 looking around and seeing so many of your friends getting married having children um, your sister of course already in that stage for so many years and then the whole house buying and so it it does bring into question what what do I think I'm supposed to be doing at 30 what is the culture telling me I'm supposed to be doing at 30 Um, and so I'm curious where you've, how you've, what your process has been like around those questions. I do feel myself having more patience than I did when I was younger, which is kind of funny. Like I would have Mm -hmm. thought when I was 22 and just graduated from college, I would have thought, oh, there's like, there's no way I'll have more patience when I'm 30 because I'll have Mm -hmm. less time. (laughs) Hmm. But I actually do feel a little bit more patience and I do, even if I can't always totally sink into it or feel it in my bones, like I do have more of an understanding that those outward things or those boxes that people check off don't actually necessarily mean anything about whether they are happy or fulfilled or find life meaningful or you know or you know it's it's none of those things in and of themselves and there there are genuinely so many ways to live and and um Mm. yeah while trying to balance also the reality of like (laughs) I still will probably have some regrets like no matter what (laughs) I I -hmm. choose or don't choose Mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting to highlight that (laughs) that part of you that thought when you graduated from college how would I have more patience as I get older 
and then stepping into this next age and next decade and realizing that you do not only have more patience, but more self-trust and self-knowledge and wisdom. And I think it's the piece that we miss, similar to what we talked about in the last episode around summer, that if we only focus on the grief, we're going to go into a swampland of Mm -hmm. despair. But to know that the grief and the joy are always intimately linked, that when we're talking about birthdays and getting older and aging, that we, yes, we can focus on the grief and the loss, and it's essential to do so because that's what's real and that's what's happening, while also holding the other side of that, which is that as we age, um, it's not only a process of loss, that we gain so much if we are on a journey of discovery, self-reflection, healing, growth, that with each year, with each couple of years, decade, we gather so much gold um, that can only happen through the passage of time. It kind of reminds me of um, <laughs> when I was 23 and I started graduate school and I knew I wanted to work with people in this way, um, but I was so young And I graduated when I was 25 and I was in my internship and I was working with people as a therapist, getting my hours, doing the whole thing. And then I stopped because I didn't feel like I had lived enough to be able to offer something of real value. I had too much self-doubt at the time in my 20s. Um, I probably was offering more than I thought I was, but I also knew that I needed to to live my life and through life experience that I would then gather the nuggets, the gems, the gold that I would be able to, to put all of that lead into the alchemical vessel and, and offer it back in some way. And so I think it's the piece about birthdays that can so easily get lost when we we f- we feel the grief, but we don't necessarily name it and move through it. It just kind of is sitting there. It's it turns into lead because it doesn't get ritualized and alchemized, and and then we lose sight of of what is also happening on the other side of a birthday of the goodness and the richness of aging which of course speaks right directly to how ageist our culture is, our terror of aging, yeah. how much we worship youth, we wor- that we are considered, I, mean, I hate this term, but if you get pregnant after age 35, it's called a geriatric pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like what the heck? So we people start to feel old in their 30s and that's just insane to me. And... And as if old is a bad thing, as if getting older is is the worst thing that can happen. Um, and so I think all of that is is kind of bound up in in birthdays, as especially as you know we're not little kids anymore. Although we all know, being a highly sensitive child, you're going to feel into that layer as well. Not so much the fear of aging, but the recognition that the age that you just were will never be again. You know, when you said that about the geriatric pregnancy, you know, there's there's <laughs> another layer for me, I think, of just and this this entered my mind, I mean, even in my mid twenties, which is so sad. But I think also as a woman just being afraid of my body changing and being older and mm-hmm. and I I like almost hesitate to even say this because I don't not that I'm putting the thought into other women's heads I think our entire culture and society puts this into other women's heads mm-hmm. but I hate the idea of a woman younger than me or even my age or older than me like hearing me say this but mm. um I know so many people feel it and it's just that fear of like well am I still lovable and valuable and worthwhile 
as I get older or am I going to become invisible as I get older? Yes. And how much of my worth I've put specifically in like being attractive to men, (laughs) you know? Yes. Um, Not even feeling that great about my body all the way through, but like, well, at least I have this or this Mm -hmm. or... (laughs) It's so it's so important in the topic of invisibility and aging. Um, it's why I've loved shows like um, now I'm forgetting the name, the Jane Fonda. Yeah, Grace and Frankie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Grace and Frankie. Um, because they 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 put that all out on the table of what it is to be an older person, especially an older woman. Um, and how they had some great episodes specifically on that about being invisible. And of course, in the show, they're like in their 70s. So it's a whole different stage of life that neither of us are in yet, but we can sense into that and we can feel into that, that what what is it to age in this culture that does not respect aging at all? Then there are other cultures that do, that bring out their... Um, they're elderly, they're, they're, they're wise ones and they are considered wise elders and they revere them right, for their wisdom. That can only happen when you've lived decades and decades. That kind of rich gold, that kind of wisdom. You know? But we are the polar opposite of that in our culture. And so I think that so much of the grief that happens around birthdays is the fear of aging. The fear of death, yes. That's like you said, when you crack down into the center of it and knowing that our parents, and if you still have grandparents alive, then grandparents um, are being moved up the totem pole. But, But it's not just that. It's the whole process of aging. And so it brings to mind a question for me in this moment that I've never thought of, which is would there still be would there still be grief around a birthday in a culture that wasn't age phobic? Mm. And even death phobic. If our culture was not age and death phobic, would there still be grief around a birthday? Is it intrinsically, is there intrinsically a sense of loss like there is when you get married or have a child? There's an intrinsic loss that happens, a whole stage of life, a whole identity. But is that true for birthdays? Archetypally, I wonder. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on that? I guess my, my mind is going to, the flip of that is like, in terms of my sense of worth, kind of harkens back to that story that I told in the very beginning, but I feel like I've always been praised for being young and young and blank. So like when you talk about the wise elders, it's like I was always praised for being like, oh, you're so mature for your age. You're so wise for your age. And I always had this sense of like, oh, so my goodness is very wrapped up in that for your age part, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's just kind of the flip of what you're saying is like that, I think that phobia kind of, of of aging makes us put so much value on youth and then almost praise, praise people f- for being young and um, yes. put this pressure of like, there are just so many people who, especially with 30, for whatever reason, I guess because we think of 30 in our, as it's not old, but like we, it just has this thing around it of, <laughs> you know, like I have to do X before I'm 30. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that like pressure that young, younger people have, I think, in their heads. And I, I think mm-hmm. that dissolves a little bit as you get older and you realize how arbitrary it is. But mm-hmm. certainly when you're younger, I think it looms like, well, it's not going to matter anymore after I'm 30 if I mm. whatever it is, 
if I mm. put out that album or I get my PhD because I, I got to do that before I'm 30 to really mm. be valuable. Special. Yeah. Something special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like you've really achieved something if you've done it before you're 30. Right. Right. Because then you're just old. Who cares? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And I want to highlight and underscore and bold the statement, <laughs> 30 is not old. Yes. People, anybody listening? And for you, Victoria, yes. 30 is not old. And maybe you only really know that. <laughs> like maybe as I'm about to turn 50, there are 70-year-olds looking at me going, 50 is not old. Right. Because maybe it's right. only as you are, you know, X amount of years older that you look back and you say, oh my goodness, 30 is not old. Right. Right. Don't worry about it. Right. Yeah, really, don't worry about it. (laughs) You still have, God willing, decades and decades and decades and decades and decades ahead of you. But yes, the culture will tell you something else. And I think you are speaking to that layer of what is it to be valued, to be worthy, to be special? What accomplishments um, have I, was I supposed to achieve by this certain birth date? Which is also silly, really, when you when you look at it all. I think one of the pieces that you named earlier that felt important to me was like, it is one day in a transition that actually is ongoing. Mm. That there are days, weeks, you know, months before and after. And it feels like what you said about kind of slowing down and taking the time to really to do some of that reflecting like I think I was on a hike with my boyfriend Martin and I was like I just have this imposter syndrome about turning 30 like you know like 30 is an adult 30 is a woman I am still a kid like I, you know mm-hmm. and he asked me this question that I had actually asked myself a few days before that, which is like, well, what does it mean to you to be a woman or to be an adult? Mm. And actually sitting with that question and journaling on that question was really helpful. And also reminding myself how many people have imposter syndrome about, you know, so many things, including so many people feel like, oh, I still feel X age on the inside, even though I'm, you know, this many years. Yes, which again speaks to that piece of how silly we, the things that we place value on that really don't matter at all. And also what comes to mind for me is a couple things as you were talking. One is um, it's, we live in this culture in a way where you can never win. So Mm. if you are trying to get that, chase after the carrot it's always going to move so you were praised for look how mature you are for your age and look how many books you look at what you read at your age and and the at your age was so important and I remember being much younger and always looking so much younger um so when I was 12 I looked like I was nine and 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 I hated that. And so as a young person, that was not a good thing to not look like the rest of your peers and to always be sort of the little kid in the group. And I was always really tiny. Um, and then all those years into my teenage years, 20s, still always looking younger and then feeling like I'm an imposter as a therapist because not only am I 25, but I look like I'm 17. (laughs) And that was not a good thing. And then at some point going, oh, now I look more my age, I think, but now I want to look younger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and then again, in my head, just kind of exploding it all going, no, I reject all of that. And I have to work to reject it because the automatic, the default place is to accept the expectations and all of those ridiculous constraints of the cultures where you you can never win, right? It's an ever-moving target. And to step into the experience of being me, not what I look like, not what age I am, 
not a chronological age or a biological age or any of that BS because it, that's what it is. It's stepping into the experience of being me, like from the inside out. When you shift the focus from the outside to the inside, then everything changes. And I talk about this so much in my work, especially in the self-trust aspect of my work and expression and creativity and our work in the world, because then it really becomes a question more of how can I best serve? How can I best show up for other people around me? It becomes much less of a self-centered question and reflect, even though all of that's important as well. But we walk through the self-centered piece and then we arrive at but this is where I am at this stage in my life. It doesn't really matter what age or what I've accomplished or any of these externals or what I look like. What I care most about is being in line with who I am as best to my ability as I can. And from that place, being of service. And that's what matters. I think what has really helped me is having more patience to go, it's okay if I like don't always know exactly. It's okay if, if it takes time. Particularly, I just think with my personality and temperament and experience and as I kind of shared in that opening story, like I, I definitely have been a people pleaser and a, like you said, a very good girl. So, you know, so to really identify what does it mean to me to be an adult, to be a 30-year-old woman, to me, for me, um, and just to know myself and what I want and need and those different parts of me to accept the different parts of me, not just the part that other people see. And just having patience to go, well, if I spent like 28 years or like something, 20-something <laughs> years uh, doing a lot a lot of that, like smiling and nodding, people pleasing, it's probably going to take some time for me to get to know myself. And like, that's okay. Yes. Yes. I love that that's okay. And I love the self-compassion. I love the, the patience, the allowing of the process of getting to know ourselves and stepping into ourselves and being in alignment with who we are. Because I think it's an ongoing, lifelong process um, the other thing that came to mind around the birthday just being one day and how do we prepare, how do we spend time, meaningful time leading up to that day. Um, and, you know, I've mentioned ritual several times because I think it's so important to ritualize these transitions in a meaningful way, in a personal way, not, not in the rote way that maybe we've been handed of this is what you, I mean, you know, having a birthday cake and blowing out candles, that's a ritual and it's sweet and, you know, we expect it as children and maybe we want it as adults and that's great. But there are so many other ways and so many other rituals that speak to the process of getting older. And what came to mind was something that my friend Lisa Rappaport shared with me on my 49th birthday in anticipation of my 50th, which was recognizing that 50, well, 49 is seven times seven, and then that final year going into 50. And so taking some time in this 49th year into 50, um, reflecting on those seven stages of sevens in my life. So zero to seven, seven to 14, 14 to 21, 21 to 28. And um, you know, what, what aspect, what stands out when I reflect on zero to seven? What stands out when I reflect on seven to 14? What aspect of myself do I still see in myself? What are the core elements of me that I take with me? So it's quite an extensive exercise. I haven't, I haven't done it in depth, but I've dipped into it. And it's been such an interesting way to reflect on what has brought me to this moment in my life. So that's a really 
sort of big assignment um, that's specific to this age that I'm at, but I think it would apply to really any age, right? 30 could be three groups of 10. What was zero to 10? What was 10 to 20? What was 20 to 30? And even if it's just a drawing or a couple of words, that there's an acknowledgement, that there's a slowing down, um, that there's, there's a willingness to take that time to review and reflect. But the birthday ritual that I have done every year, for I don't even know for how long, many, many years for my own life, and then I started to do a version of it with my kids, was I would write the day before my birthday, I would spend time with myself, um, doing something special and reflective, maybe going for a hike, maybe sitting at the creek, and writing um, from the place of review of the past year and also welcoming in any grief that might be present, people that are no longer in my life that won't be celebrating me in physical form, um, any grief about turning the next age, and also setting intentions. So then there's the other side of the birthday of what what am I hoping to grow or shine light on in a gentle way, not in I'm broken and I have to be fixed kind of way, but in a gentle way. Um, moving into the next year. So on that note, and I will say just a little prelude to this, um, I have something that I would like to read to you, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, and every year before my kids turn the next age, I write them a letter and I read it to them the night before their birthday. And it's become a ritual. It's become a way to honor the passage of time reflect on the past year, articulate how I see them growing and changing, and for them to have this physical document from me, who knows what they'll do with it in their life, but, but, but they have these documents from me that, that mark time in a meaningful way. And I think it's important for humans. I think we have a need, a very deep need to mark time. And that's one thing that birthdays can do. And we can harness that need and create meaning from it. And so you're not my daughter, but you are my niece. And I felt compelled this year, a few days before you turned 30, to write a letter to you and to read it here. Mm. Um, Because I want you to know how I see you and I want you to know how I've seen you grow this past decade. And I want whoever is listening to know as well. So settle in. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Dear Victoria, I'll never forget the first time I heard your voice. Your Uncle Dave and I had just started dating, and you and your sister, Amanda, had sent him a tape. Yes, a cassette tape (laughs) of the two of you singing. He was so proud of both of you and was excited to share it with me. You were a young child, but I could already hear the sweetness of your soul expressed through your voice. We met many times over the next many years, us traveling to New Jersey, but it wasn't until the summer after you graduated from college that our soul relationship began. By some incredible instinct and wisdom, you knew after you graduated from college that you needed to connect with relatives and you made the bold decision to ask if you could come visit us for a week. It was May 2013. We barely knew each other when you arrived, and the first couple of days were a bit awkward, but very sweet. You connected immediately with Everest and Asher, and you were game to try anything we suggested. We hiked in the Rocky Mountain National Park. You helped plant my garden. You came to synagogue with me. We cooked together. We took walks. We went grocery shopping. By the end of the week, the love between us was palpable and the connection as alive as a Colorado spring. I remember sitting in my car together, talking deeply in the driveway before going back into the house and thinking, she's a kindred soul. And that feeling has grown exponentially over these last eight years. From you and Martin visiting to my family coming out to New Jersey to you coming to Everest Bar Mitzvah, to countless phone conversations on dozens of walks, we've grown a connection 
that is indeed pure gold. What I want to share with you in this birthday letter as you stand on the threshold of 30 is what an honor it has been to watch you grow up through your 20s. Like all of us, you began the decade feeling a bit lost, unsure of yourself, full of self-doubt. By your mid-20s, the anxiety had crescendoed and had attached onto a variety of themes, which you've talked about on your podcast and a bit here as well. But what I witnessed through all of your struggles was a tenacious quest for healing and understanding. When you turned 22 a few weeks after that first visit to Colorado, I sent a package full of my favorite touchstone books. You read all of them. As a lifelong reader, you continued to read and listen to every self-help and spiritual book you could get your hands on throughout your 20s, from Pema Chodron to Richard Rohr, to the rich and varied podcasts that accompanied you on your commute all those years. At some point, about halfway through the decade, you started making book and podcast recommendations to me, and I received them graciously. You also continually pushed yourself outside your comfort zone, even in the midst of anxiety. There was something inside of you through the tumble of 20s that knew you needed to say yes to life. Encouraged by Martin, you learned how to rock climb. You went camping and drove on freeways and applied to jobs and moved away from your parents and established your own home and learned about finances and paid off most of your student loans. In short, you have accomplished every task of this decade of 20s, from financial awareness to individuating from parents to growing friendships to learning about the four realms of self. And when you found your beloved therapist a few years ago, I saw things really starting to shift for you. Through her unconditional love and steady guidance, you've stepped more fully into yourself and found those threads of self-trust that were embedded in the self-doubt all along. You said something in our last episode on summer that struck me as it encapsulates how I've seen you and witnessed you these past eight years. You said, the haze clears if we are growing up with our age. Victoria, you have transformed from a misty, hazy 22-year-old to a clear-eyed, soft-hearted, wise 30-year-old. You've walked through your 20s with so much grace. Yes, stumbling plenty of times along the way, as we always will stumble in our lives. But dusting yourself off each time, reaching for support, taking the risk again and again to be vulnerable both out in the world and in your heart, showing up for your loved ones and building that most precious well of self-knowledge and self-trust. You started the decade as a student, and while you will always be a student of life because you have a voracious appetite for learning in all ways, you've also become a teacher. And I'm so happy to say you've become one of my teachers. In these past couple of years, and especially this past year, I've turned to you several times for support, especially around parenting challenges and the unique ways that anxiety has shown up for my kids. You've held my worries, questions, and tears with so much love and wisdom. And as I poured myself into you, I could feel them transforming in the alchemical vessel that appears when we are deeply heard. You're one of the people who is helping me navigate this most challenging territory I've encountered as a parent, whose steady gaze and open heart and wise mind is helping Dave and I transform the lead of this stage into gold. My dear Victoria, I'm so lucky that you came into my life as niece by marriage, but you're not only my niece, you're my heart family, my colleague, and one of my closest friends. As I sit here writing these words to you, I'm filled with the deepest gratitude that is showing up now as tears. I'm looking out at the creek, remembering when you and Martin sat out there playing with my boys. I'm remembering how you sat next to me at Everest Bar Mitzvah, praying and singing and crying and holding my hand as we danced and watched him step across that momentous threshold, then holing up in my studio with my circle of soul sisters, again holding hands and meeting in that luscious place that only women can meet together. And so I end with this prayer and blessing. Dear God, thank you for Victoria's birth. 
Thank you, Gemma and John, for bringing her into the world, and for Dave for bringing her into my life. Thank you for her most beautifully sensitive heart, for her endlessly curious mind, for her brave soul. Thank you for her courage and for her unrelenting commitment to healing. Thank you for her goodness and light, which is radiant and unwavering. May you continue to shine your light in the world. May you be safe and protected and healthy so that you can bring goodness to all who are lucky to know you. May you know that you are worthy and loved as you continue to sing loudly when your voice wants to be heard, to dance with abandon, to love with all the fullness of your heart. I love you. Uh, I love you. Thank you. That I knew I wouldn't make it through the whole thing without crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to hold back just so I could read it. (laughs) (laughs) That is such a gift. Mm. And I feel so grateful. Mm. So lucky and so grateful. Mm. You are a gift, Victoria. You are a gift. And I hope you know that as you walk these last couple of days of this decade of 20s. And dance and sing across that threshold and cry if you need to into 30. Mm. Part of the reason I wanted to write this and share it is first and foremost to express how I feel about you and for you to have you know, these words as you cross over the threshold, but also... Um, just to share and offer an example of what ritual can look like that I think ritual is a confusing word because it's not part of our lexicon and part of our lived experience as a culture anymore. Um, But that for me, writing the yearly birthday rituals, the birthday letters to my kids is a meaningful ritual. And I sort of see the letter as like a talisman, as something that, as an amulet, as something that they can hold on to, even if not literally to, to be able to step on the words, that the words are, are stepping stones, that they're footholds. And that people that are a few years ahead of you, whether it's a parent or an aunt or a friend, um, can, can put down those stepping stones. And can help these crossings be a little easier, make a little bit more sense. You know, these these tenuous thresholds of a transition where it can feel like you are falling through an abyss if you don't have container language ritual for it. And so something as simple as as a birthday letter, you know, can be a container for ourselves and also for others. And you know what I think I'll add is just that what I just received from you is so special and not something mm. that I I think I think there are a lot of people who don't necessarily re- just receive something like that and yes. I know in the past I've had I remember having a little birthday dinner and I went around the table and I told each friend my favorite memory with them from that past Mm. year. Mm. So I also think that we can ask people, like maybe not, hey, can you write me the most beautiful letter I've ever heard? (laughs) Um, But but we can, we can offer it and, you know, open, open heartedly, not necessarily, not necessarily receipt, expecting um, Mm -hmm. something in particular in return. But we can also ask people, hey, do you mind just reminding me of something from a particular age or uh, mm. one of your favorite memories of us you yes. know i'm going to i'm i'm writing some reflections can you help me remember um yes i think we can ask for it too yeah that is so important to say victoria and it reminds me of something that i asked for for one of my birthday birthdays in my 20s, um, maybe 26, maybe 27, where I asked 
most the most meaningful people in my life. It was not a huge number because I've always had a small circle, but it was maybe five or six people. If they would record some thoughts about how they saw me or how they saw what their thoughts about 26 or 27 was or a favorite memory. And again, it was in the time of cassettes, so it was a lot more cumbersome um, of a request because they actually had to record on a cassette and then physically mail it to me. But I love that idea of reaching out to a few close people, even just one, and saying, hey, can you record a voice memo and just send it over text? It's so easy to do those things these days. And so I think when we when we talk about meaningful celebrations and this hunger for meaning that we have, it goes, it's so beyond, it, it goes right back to your original story of how you started the podcast. You wanted to be seen, you needed to be seen. And the gifts are a reflection of how we see people. Um, they can be anyway, it doesn't mean they always are. But we can also ask for these non-physical gifts. We can ask for words. We can ask for you know, a drawing. And it's a hard request. It's very vulnerable. Very yes. vulnerable. Yes. Not easy to do at all. Um, but the, the, that is the true gift, to be able to receive that on a birthday. This is how I see you. This is how I celebrate you. It is so mm -hmm. vulnerable. And I think that, like you said, even if it's just one person and maybe you, you test it out with a, a small ask, but mm -hmm. um, it, yeah, it can be so meaningful. Yes. And I think that it also connects to that first story in terms of being willing to ask for something that you want as opposed to being upset that somebody didn't hmm. infer it, right? <laughs> I was a child, yes. but <laughs> yes. Um, as you grow up, being willing to to accept even within yourself something that's important to you and then um, and also to practice ways that you can, like you said, in your own reflections as well, um, look in, mm -hmm. look at those qualities you've brought with you the whole way and spend some mm. time recognizing those. Yes. I think being able to ask for the gifts that you want, it speaks to that the whole conversation around love languages and mm. um, knowing your own love language. It's such an important thing to know about oneself and then also being willing to communicate what your love language is if somebody people in your life don't know what your love language is because for some people their love language is is gifts right actual physical gifts and that's super meaningful to them to me that's not my love language mm. so I am very clear with my husband on every single birthday <laughs> um, what will be meaningful for me is I want a letter where he tells me how he sees me or what he appreciates about me. Um, and, and you know, I will also put a caveat there that even though I make that request, it doesn't necessarily happen in the exact way that I would like it to mm -hmm. happen. And so there's <laughs> a lot of room for, you know, some disappointment, potential conflict, but we've, we've gotten a lot better over the years. Um, but I think it's, it's so important to, make those requests around birthdays. This is how I feel seen. This is how I feel celebrated. And so for me, it's, it's a letter and it's, um, and it's a thoughtful, you know, usually a meal I love being cooked for, some, something to do with food. But the gift, like the actual tangible gift in a box, I could take it or leave it. It doesn't land for me as a way that I feel seen and loved. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's an important piece to leave people with in terms of how do I honor and celebrate a birthday in a meaningful way? And what is a gift? And mm -hmm. what is embedded in a gift? What is a gift to me? And if a gift is an, an expression of 
of celebration and appreciation, then it's how do I feel appreciated and celebrated and loved? That great list of questions that you started with. Yeah. And that that grace that you named for other people as well. That is Mm -hmm. the expectation (laughs) thing, right? Like, yeah, appreciating people trying and, you know, I think that's always good to hold in our hearts as well when we have very specific expectations to hold some grace around it as well. I'm still working on that. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe I have like 40 more birthdays to practice that one. Yeah, we're just practicing. <laughs> we're just practicing. We're practicing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for the mm. gift. Mm. of your beautiful words and for this Mm. time Mm. thank you victoria if those listening want to find you and your Mm -hmm. work online where should they go my website is conscious-transitions.com and i'm on instagram at wisdom of anxiety and you can find me at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate it, leave a review, share with a friend. It helps other people to find the show. We appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening. <laughs>